He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, August 12, 2023. Some podcasts are better than others. This is one of those great ones. Episode 161, former Trump-appointed U.S. Attorney Jason Dunn. It is amazing. Of course, these are amazing times. Judge Tanya Chutkin now has a rope around Donald Trump's neck. Will she pull? Will he pull? We talk about it throughout this show. And with the Trump appointee, we talk about everything. Our troubadour Dave Gunders, wow, does he deliver with his perfect song, Time to Plant Everything. We talk about a new show I have upcoming. Same old show, but different format, different day of the week. It's his spinoff show. It's Craig's Colorado Corner Monday morning, 8 a.m., Colorado time, a panel discussion about the great issues of the day, and that includes, of course, people v. Trump. I say people because that's the way I prosecuted on behalf of the people of the state of Colorado whose dignity was offended by the criminal conduct I prosecuted. There are so many Colorado connections, too. January 6th, The Big Lie, MAGA in general, the criminal conspiracy it became. We break it down on the upcoming show with Speaker of the House, former first African-American Speaker of the House, Terrence Carroll. He's still an attorney, minister, a peace officer. Holy cow, he does it all. And he's gotten so skinny. We'll talk to him about that. But mainly we talk law and politics And we do it with Mario Nicholas, my colleague at the Colorado Sun. Did I mention Terrence is a columnist at the Denver Post? Anyway, the Colorado Sun features Mario Nicholas, who is bright. He's proved that episode after episode on my show. And he does it again. We will be fresh Monday morning. We record late Sunday, and we get in all the latest news. And I'm predicting that may include the arrest of Donald J. Trump, not an arrest, an order that he appear in court, because I predict he will not heed the authority of a black judge named Tanya Chutkin, but she's got the power. She really does. And I loved it when she told Trump, hey, I know you've got a day job. Really, you don't, but you're running for political office, but that's no reason to avoid a fast trial. And the more you cause problems, the faster the trial needs to be. So accelerated trial is on the docket, and you, sir, have been warned, okay? She's aware of everything he's been putting out there in social media, but she played it cool because it's the next time and the next time, and eventually push will come to shove, which will come to your hands behind your back, sir. And they have handcuffs for fat guys like that. Wouldn't you like to see a way off 
between Chris Christie and Donald Trump? Better than that Musk versus Zuckerberg fight, what are we coming to when that kind of violence is encouraged, tolerated? I've been writing about that, talking about it. These Republicans who want to compare their complaints to what Hillary Clinton did or, I don't know, Barbara Boxer or God knows who. I don't remember a Democrat who never conceded an election. I never remember anybody encouraging a walk to the Capitol to mess up uh, formality in Congress. And they did it, and now he's charged with it, and it's going to be the case of the century. And we're going to talk about it in Craig's Colorado Corner with Terrence Carroll and Mario Nicholas, and it's going to be fantastic upcoming on Monday. But right here, I've got one of the greatest podcasts ever with Jason Dunn because we talk about a lot of the same things, and it's one-on-one. It's my warm-up. We'll have him back as a panelist. We're going to get all the smart people because people are captivated by the law. And I'm old enough to have been a major commentator while a chief deputy DA about the O.J. Simpson case. When the L.A. Times summarized that trial, they had six people, and I was honored to be one of them. Since we had been quoted so frequently during the trial, we summed up our thoughts and brilliant people, and then they included me. I was one of the six, but the six co-conspirators of Donald Trump have a lot of Colorado connections. That's what we'll be talking about on the show. And Jason Dunn talks about it. And as we get into it, he had to respond to the disparagements of Dominion that had its American headquarters in Denver, Colorado, in the old spaghetti factory not far from where all of us work downtown. Anyway, Jason Dunn has a lot to say about that, and he thinks he's come out hard against Donald Trump, and he does. But you judge, is it hard enough? Gosh, it's great to have access to people who have been in the trenches. He knows Richard Donahue. He knows Jeff Clark. He knows Jeff Rosen. Yeah, these are the names involved at the DOJ. Some of them Republican heroes. We talk about them. But then there were Republican zeros like Rudy Giuliani. And Jason Dunn, he throws some hard punches. He's a good man. He's proved himself through the years. And we enjoyed the banter back and forth, as lawyers do. I think you're going to love it as well. So here's the order of things. Jason Dunn with a scintillating conversation about all things current, and we will learn about how Jason Dunn grew up, a little bit in Colorado, quite a bit in Montana, then he came back, CU, go buff, CU law, you can't do better than that, except some people think the Ivy League's better, and he makes a point that it's hard to get in the U.S. Attorney's Office, but he somehow did, and he enjoyed the experience, and he took it seriously as he did when he worked for state government before that. Jason Dunn's been a public servant. I did that for a while. I hope my podcasts are a public service, and I also hope they are profitable. I know they've been good for Michael Bailey. He's going to sponsor the additional show, and I want you to know that Michael Bailey really is my lawyer and a hell of a good guy, and he realizes the value of good conversation. He'll be part of the show 
on Sunday as well. I say Sunday because that's when we record. You can listen Monday morning, 8 a.m. We'll have all the freshest news. I think we're going through something in America. You will hear the reaction of Jason Dunn after a message from Michael Bailey. Thanks a lot for listening. I like to do it on Apple. Most people know how to get their podcasts on Apple. Spotify is not bad. You can play me in three times speed. But the number I'm looking for is five stars. And a subscription, you get a new episode every week. You can listen or not. But tell your friends this is a lot of fun. Episode 161 with Jason Dunn and our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw.com. LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. This is a wonderful opportunity on a special day to welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, Jason Dunn. He was U.S. Attorney appointed by President Donald J. Trump. Jason, thanks a million for coming on. Happy to do it. Great to be here. Thanks for doing it late on a Friday. As we texted, we thought all the news would be done on the East Coast. And what a day. Before we learn all about you, let's not bury the lead because it has everything to do about what I presume to be the uh, area of considerable expertise on your part, which is the federal criminal justice system, being the U.S. attorney. Donald Trump's team had to appear in front of Judge Tanya Chetkin in D.C. at the same time in D.C., Merrick Garland announced, he's the AG, that there would be a special counsel 
New guy, same as the old guy, David Weiss, a Republican appointed by Donald Trump. Same year, 2018, you got appointed. What order do you want to take them in? Uh, either one. I know David and uh, saw that news, so I guess we can start there. Yeah, let's start with David. It's like an incoming class sort of, I would guess, right? You, you're you plucked from, well, we'll get to your background. But I looked at David Weiss's bio. He came from a big firm out in Delaware. You come from a big firm in Colorado. You had a lot of travels before then, but I'll shut up and you tell me about David Weiss and what you know. Yeah, we, um, I, I don't know if we came in exactly the same time. You know, there's a, when you're nominated and, and you go through the confirmation process um, for a presidentially appointed position, it takes a while. And mine got a little sticky for a couple of different reasons, which we can get into if you want at some point, but um, it's always an interesting process. So, um, but certainly the U.S. attorneys gather several times a year and got to spend a little time with him, get to know him a little bit. I wouldn't say we're super close, but um, I think within the within the U.S. attorney community, he's very well respected. I think a fairly kind of understated, kind of lawyer's lawyer kind of guy. He's described as a career prosecutor. He was frontline, did trials, kind of thing I did for the beginning of my career. They say He's not really political, but he had to get appointed by a Republican, Donald Trump. So isn't that the ultimate uh, comeback? Hey, you say it's not fair. Donald Trump appointed him. Yeah, as you know, the the U.S. attorney positions, there's a lot of different voices that weigh in on that process, um, particularly the, the United States senators from the home state, and particularly if they're the same party as the president. Um, the history of our country has been that presidents will often defer to uh, the senator of the of the same party um, in in appointing U.S. attorneys, U.S. marshals, and some of the other federal positions that are there for the home state. So, um, you know, could I don't know what his relationships were with his his senator or the president. I doubt he had much of a relationship with the president. So, my guess is his his senators probably had a role in that. Well-stated counsel. I think I see the argument coming because it's what, Carper and Coons? I mean, Senator Coons is best buds with Joe Biden, who dominates the Democrat Party and probably all of Delaware, really. So they agreed on David Weiss. Trump said, okay, I'll do it. He might not have known that much about David Weiss, but we're all getting to know him now. The bottom line is, Hunter Biden is obviously a wayward guy. He's getting prosecuted for federal offenses. Plea bargain fell apart. David Weiss was retained. It would be like somebody retaining you to investigate a Colorado connection. He did that. He had a plea deal. It fell apart. Merrick Garland said, okay, I'm going to use the special counsel law and appoint David Weiss. He knows the case. If he wants to go further... Republicans are saying the fix is in. This has been the Biden cover-up from the start. Lindsey Graham leading the charge. What say you? Yeah, you know, as you know, I am neither a conspiracy theorist or a Trump apologist. Um, but there are some interesting facts in this case um, in particular. You know, the the plea deal that was originally um, that he entered into or agreed to with uh, the prosecution you know, it seemed fairly um, reasonable to me. It were, they were misdemeanor tax charges that he agreed to. And then um, I can't remember exactly, but I think it was the, uh, 
I think it may have been a deferred prosecution on the gun charge. Right, and on a firearms charge. And I wanted to get to that. Let's get to it right now because you are the U.S. attorney. People have to fill out a form, right? And they have to say they're not addicted to any drugs. Now, does... Yep. And Hunter, he was into crack, so that's a good thing. If somebody uses cannabis, can they get a gun in Colorado? Technically not. I mean, you have to you have to sign the form. Saying, I know. Um, I know. I don't remember the exact so, language, so, right. Yeah. Right. So obviously, there's got to be what many violations. <laughs> Did you ever prosecute that? You know, we would we wouldn't do it simply just if you know somebody was found. I don't even know if that even came up, but found to be smoking marijuana and then say, aha, you have a gun. Did you you prosecute any crackheads who wanted to get guns? Um, we would, we would occasionally use the the primary one would use as a felon in possession. So Mm -hmm, if we were aware of somebody who was a known gang member, a violent offender, um, uh, uh, someone who was really troublesome, uh, you know, to a community, um, then we would work with law, local law enforcement. And sometimes they could easily just pull that person over for a traffic offense, um, not a made up traffic offense, but a legitimate traffic offense, and then search the car or search the person. And, you know, a high propensity, um, uh, that the person has a weapon on them, even though they're a convicted felon. And then of course, then you can charge them with a felon in possession. And those sentences in federal prison are, you know, a, a couple of years, uh, they're not, they're not super lengthy, but they're enough to get a hothead off the street who happens to be, you know, someone who they think is is a violent person who's or is a gang leader or that kind of thing. So we use the felon in possession. The 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 false statement on a gun application um, was used not as frequently, but occasionally. Where same kind of thing if someone you know was known to be um, falsely uh, applying for a, for a gun license, then then we could use that. Where it would also be used simply as if you know somebody who. Um, um, who was known to be, you know, a gun, a gun trafficker, or somebody who was using, you know, a, a relative to get a gun for them because they were um, going to commit a crime? Then we'd use, we could charge them with that rather than having to prove the underlying crime itself because obviously it's much more straightforward. And then the beauty about you, Jason Dunn, and I'm jumping the gun because I know your bio. You know Colorado state laws too because you worked for the AG John Southers. And you know there's a law against possessing a firearm when you are intoxicated, right? And yep. that can be enforced. It's not enforced that often. But dang, it should have been enforced on that Club Q killer. And I know hindsight's twenty twenty. But were you ever consulted about that big SWAT standoff? And that guy was wasted, right, when his family got held hostage. And if he would have gotten in the system... Was that on your watch, or you tell me? Yeah, I don't. I, if it was, I don't. It never came to me. I don't know the time. I think it was after I left, but I could be wrong about that. If I remember right, it was just in the. When, let's see. I'd have to think. I'd have to think about the timeline a little bit. But I think it was after I left. It could. I could be wrong. It could have been just before I left. But yeah, um, I, I didn't mean to distract. But the point of it is that I'm just. I was just a frontline prosecutor, right? Uh, then the knife and gun club, and I saw the interaction of alcohol and firearms. So it's serious, but it's just not enforced that much. And so when they talk about a firearms offense against Hunter Biden, this is something that is very rarely prosecuted, especially for a standalone crime. Yeah, obviously that's a unique case of a very high-profile person. He wrote a book 
um, you know, talking about his drug use. And of course, um, the timeline is, is there in the public. So everybody read it. So of course, then the public raises the question, well, wait a minute, you know, he's using drugs and he has a weapon, um, you know, probably put the prosecution in a position where they kind of had to enforce the law on the books because it was right there in, in the public domain. But what I was starting to say is what's fascinating about that case is the, are the IRS agents who testified in, you know, before Congress, um, that David Weiss, the U.S. attorney, um, number one, um, said that he was not the final decision maker on the charges, that it was uh, someone above him, which would imply main justice or even the attorney general um, himself. Um, and second, um, made the point that he or said that he had said that he had asked to be appointed a special prosecutor um, in the case um, and had been denied. Um, both facts of which the, the Department of Justice has said is are not true. And these are not IRS agents that are, um, you know, I think Trump supporters or particularly um, mm-hmm. guys that seem like they're inclined to, to make up facts. One of them, as he said himself, is a um, uh, gay married Democrat. Um, so uh, it, those are really interesting facts. So, someone can't be telling the truth mm-hmm. because the facts are, you know, are in opposite. And so um, either the IRS agents are lying or the Department of Justice is lying. But the fact that now David Weiss has asked and has been appointed a special prosecutor um, is interesting because, as, is, as, your, as your listeners may not know, a special prosecutor has more kind of carte blanche authority than, than a uh, U.S. attorney does because he basically doesn't report to anybody if you're a special prosecutor. And, and number two, and importantly here, I think, it allows you to bring charges outside your own district. And so that seems to be an issue in this case, um, with, I think, on the tax charges um, that um, where the where the facts arise. And I think that's why he apparently may have asked to be appointed a special prosecutor either in the first place or now, because he wants to bring these charges in a different district. Great analysis. I read that special counsel statute for the first time, and the jurisdiction is indeed broad and the authority great. Merrick Garland invoked it so All these complaints that uh, the whistleblowers aired, they pretty much got their way now, right? I guess so. Um, You know, obviously it came because the judge um, either indicated or or flat out said um, he or she, I don't remember which, um, was not going to accept the plea deal. So they had, it sounds like they're going to trial. And so it sounds like they're going to throw out the the charges, maybe, maybe recharge it. Yeah, uh, you're probably right, but that's what they're claiming. Um, and charge no, it no, no, wait, will it piss you off if I say it was a Trump appointed judge? <laughs> well, that's a whole nother subject, but I, you know, I do, you know, it's a whole nother subject, but I, I think that there's way too much focus on, on which president appointed federal judges. And I, I've even called out newspaper reporters for doing that. Um, because I think it only harms, um, our, our sus- system of justice and, and um, if every time a judge does something in a case and they say who appointed them, it, you know, it makes those positions more and more political. And I think that only hurts us in the long run. I agree. So I'll stipulate to that and we need to move on. But before we go, one of the objections raised, and I did do my homework and look at that special counsel law, that the person appointed is supposed to be out of government. Oh, I don't know. Like Jason Dunn, he has qualifications. <laughs> they have to agree to give up the rest of their practice, right? Dedicate yep. their time to it. And it just seems like inefficiency in the system. And believe it or not, you shouldn't waste money 
There's David Weiss is doing the investigating. Some people are saying, well, that's a violation. Well, John Durham was the same darn thing, right? When he got yep. appointed as special counsel. So yep. quit your griping, Lindsey Graham. But the bottom line, can David Weiss be trusted? I I think so. Again, I'm not I'm I'm not super close with the guy, but um, every indication I have is that he's a lawyer's lawyer. He's a professional, and he's the kind of guy that will call balls and strikes and, and do the job. You know, there's another one going on, obviously, which gets very little attention, mm-hmm. surprisingly, which is um, uh, the the uh, in, uh, special counsel of Rob Hur that was appointed yes, to look at Joe, Joe and the Corbett. Yeah. Yep. And Rob Hur is an, a guy I know who was U.S. attorney also while I served, and is a tremendous guy, super smart, and um, same kind of guy. So you're vouching for both of them. I am. Nice. I'd like to believe in this system. And you and I have some similarities other than you achieved that great job. And also you're a lot younger. That kind of pisses me off. (laughs) Maybe a little. I don't know about a lot. All right. Before we get to my hero, Obama appointed Tanya Chutkin. (laughs) Maybe we should find out a little more about you. Where, Where were you born? Sure. I was born right here in, in Denver. Uh, what hospital? In, um, I was born at, uh, I was I was confused whether it's my sister. Oh, I think no, I was born like, I think I was born That's in, like a Barack Obama situation. I know, exactly. I think I was born at Porter. It's either okay. Porter or Swedish. All right. It's the my South parents were both uh, yes. educators in Cherry Creek School District. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a briefly a teacher. I think even to this day, my dad might be the youngest ever principal in Cherry Creek schools. He was a principal at 26 and uh, went on to, yeah, when, um, that one was, I think East Eastridge. And then he was my principal at Polton elementary. Uh, and then, uh, he went on to run elementary ed for Cherry Creek and then became, uh, a school superintendent up in uh, Bozeman, Montana. So I, uh, they got, they wound up getting divorced when I was younger, and then he became the superintendent up in Bozeman. So I went up there and went to high school in Bozeman, and then uh, he went on to Great Falls and retired up there. So I spent a little time in Montana, but otherwise I've been been here my pretty much my whole life. Wow, my oldest boy is in Montana now, and my youngest graduated from Cherry Creek. Yeah. I'm a GW guy. What what year, yeah. if I can be so bold, did you graduate Creek? Well, so I didn't. So I graduated. Oh, I'm so sorry, to, Bozeman. Yeah. You went up to Bozeman. Yeah. So yeah. what I year did pra- you- I went to Prairie Middle School in yes. Aurora, and then uh, and then uh, we're nearby Polton there, and then uh, I graduated from Bozeman Senior High School in 1989. All right, you are a youngster. Dang, you've <laughs> achieved a lot. But you've worked with some people who are part of my career. I don't know if you read yeah. my column about Phil Van Sice, the guy, a Republican, came to power 100 years ago in Denver, wiped out organized crime, then took on the Klan, beat them down, single term, tried to reform the Republican Party, really did, got rid of the Klan leader, Morley. And one of his deputies was O. Otto Moore, who went on to serve mm. for a long time, then as Chief Justice, Colorado. My mm-hmm. boss, the guy who hired me and Bill Ritter and Karen Steinhauser and the rest of us, he hired back O. Otto Moore to be in our appellate division. And he mm. worked with Brooke Wanake, and for the first mm-hmm. three years of my life, I went that way. And you know who took over for Brooke Wanake as head of the Denver DA's appellate division? I do, Ben Coates. And you know who was instrumental in big parts of my life? 
Ben Coates. Yeah. You know the guy, too. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, Justice Coates um, what had just – when I um, – so how I got into all this was uh, I had moved to Boston right after I graduated from CU. My mom had moved out there, so I thought I'd go check that out for a couple of years. Decided I really wanted to be back in Colorado, so I moved back. I started a, a master's degree in public administration at night, and I was working for Chuck Berry, who was the Speaker of the House in the Colorado legislature during the day. And, uh, and then he decided to run for governor. This is in like 1996. And uh, so asked if I'd work on his campaign. I did. We were in a primary against Bill Owens and Tom Norton. If you remember Tom Norton, who was president of the Senate at the now, time. Now, I don't mean to correct you, but I remember 96. In fact, Dick <laughs> Bottoms was on last week, and I ran against Bill Ritter right then. I think the governor's right. race was coming up in 98. And Bill, uh, Bill yeah. Owens at the time was state treasurer, I think. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I started, obviously I started working on the campaign, like whatever, a year before. So maybe it was okay. 97. All right. Um, but yeah, it was the 98 election. Um, and uh, so um, we wound up uh, losing the bill in the primary. And uh, and so I was looking for another type of job. And, I, ended, uh, I ended up losing the bill in the general in 96. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I remember that. So then I went to, so John Southers was running for attorney general. He was in a primary. Asked me if I'd come run his campaign. Mm -hmm. So I went and ran John's campaign. Um, and, and it was really that that got me interested in law. Because when I was working for him, I met all these guys that were supporting him, like Brian Boatwright, who was a line DA, I think, out in Jeffco at the time. Tim Timkovich, who was a kind of mid-sized law firm lawyer in Denver. Um, Troy and Allison Ide. Um, met all these people. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I kind of want to do what they're doing. And uh, so I decided to uh, go up to law school up in Boulder and and stayed in touch with all those people, Richard Westfall, other guys like that, and uh, stayed in touch with all them while I was in law school and wound up working for now 10th Circuit Chief Judge Tim Kovich while I was in law school and, and Richard Westfall. And then uh, um, when I was leaving law school, they all said, you, you know, uh, well, I guess let's see that same year, right about when I was graduating, um, uh, Bill Owens had become governor and he appointed uh, Ben Coates to be a justice on the Colorado Supreme Court. So all these guys said, hey, he's great. We all know him. You should apply for a clerkship with him. And so I applied to be his clerk and I was fortunate enough to, to get that job. And so he had had a, a set of clerks for a couple of months when he first got in, but I was really his first set of, um, of clerks um, after he became a justice. And then so was kind of watched him his entire time to go on to be chief justice. And then obviously it was in the newspaper this week, unfortunately. Yeah. Let's stop off right there because I did not really want to read anything bad about my friend, Ben Coates. I consider him a friend. We went through Frank Rodriguez together, which was a death penalty prosecution. And boy, did I rely on him for good advice. And that got upheld all the way through the court system and Rodriguez died with his last Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals matter pending from natural mm -hmm. causes, 18 years after his crime. Ben Coates, to me, was stellar as an attorney and appellate mind, and this opinion really makes clear that his administrative skills were lacking there at the end. And I'm getting toward the end of my career, and none of us really know if we're going to make a great administrator if we haven't done it before. You have... And by reputation, you're a great administrator, but not everybody is. And maybe Ben fell short there in a tough call situation. I read the entire opinion. 
David Powell, who worked with me in the DA's office, mm-hmm. was part of the investigation. Kusair Mohammed Bai, Rathad Mohammed Bai. It was thoroughly investigated. We know what happened. And all I can say about Ben Coates, and I'll stand by this without knowing the man, you know, other than for a few intense years, that this man is not corrupt in any way. He's not a corrupt person. Do you agree with that? Oh, he's the opposite of corruption. I mean, I will tell you, and this is not an exaggeration, we and I stayed in pretty close touch with him um, over the last 20 years after clerking with him. We'd go to lunch every few months and, and things like that. And I we'd talk a lot about the court and about my career and things like that. But I mean, there were times literally we're standing on a street corner waiting to cross and there is not a car in sight and he will not jaywalk. Uh, and I would just stand there sort of looking at him and like, I'd be you know, chomping at the bit to cross the street cause there's no cars coming and he will just stand there. He will not cross the street unless it says cross. That's how straight laced he is. And in, in beyond that, he's just a, a thoroughly decent human being. He's, you know, fairly reclusive, but, um, he is brilliant, um, uh, as a writer and as a jurist and, um, is just as clean as they come in terms of integrity and and ethics. And as a teammate. And honestly, you meet a lot of smart people in the legal world. He's he's one of them. And he he loves Colorado and he loves the rule of law. So this is sad that he has to go out this way, but he's really not going out this way because he's welcome to come on my podcast. And this is... uh, you know, it, it's a blemish for, you know, not being a great administrator. Let's let's kind of go to that. Because when I ran against Bill Ritter, that was formidable, incumbent Democrat. Did you pay attention to that race? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I'd been a chief deputy. You know, I'd supervised like Stan Garnett and, uh, you know, some yep. uh, Mitch Morrissey and those kind of guys. But I hadn't run a whole office don't you agree that some people can do that? Some people can't. I, I'll never know. But did you wonder about that before you took the job or had you already had a big job like that? Um, you know, a little bit of both, I'd say. Obviously, in a law firm, um, you know, you sort of supervise younger attorneys and paralegals and, and um, secretaries and things like that. Um, and when I was the deputy attorney general under John Southers, you know, I was in the front office um, with with John and with Allison Ide, who was our initial solicitor general, and Dan Domenico, who's now a federal uh, federal district court judge, um, and Cynthia Kaufman, who went on to become the attorney general after John. And so that was kind of our front office. So I was helping run the office, um, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the number one. I wasn't the guy in charge. So becoming U.S. attorney, obviously, that was a new experience in, toward, in, in terms of sort of being the, the top guy. Um, and so I took it very seriously and I, you know, I, I tried to do the best I could at it. Um, you know, and there's, you know, I guess I'll let sort of others decide whether I did a good job or not, but I, you know, I certainly tried to be, um, you know, I tried to rely on smart people. I always, you know, one of the mantras I always say is, you know, surround yourself with, with people, people who are smarter and you'll look good. And for me, that's pretty easy. Um, and, uh, you know, I tried to, I tried to live by that. And so when I became the U S attorney, because I had never been in the office, one of the things that was important to me was that was to have someone as my number two, who knew the office and had been in the office. And so I sort of pounded the pavement ahead of time, uh, you know, for someone in the Denver legal community who would fit that role, I didn't really find anyone. And so I wound up keeping, um, the number two, 
um, that had been there before me, and even on, even though it was uh, under the Obama administration, um, he had been the number two for both Bob Troyer and, and John Walsh before me, and and is still now the number two today under Cole Finnegan. So um, just a brilliant guy, been in the office for twenty years, super well respected. And well, well, that man, was probably man, one of name the, the man for God's sake, Matt, Matt Kirsch. Wow, he has staying power. He must be apolitical, the way a prosecutor should be. He is. He is very much apolitical, and uh, oh, you know, he's. I mean, he he very much does not have my politics, um, but that that really was never an issue. I mean, we you know we I you know we we bantied issues around. We didn't always have the same quite the same approach on everything, but um, those those were not political issues. Those were just sort of leadership issues or um, you know ideas of prosecution. Well, let's back up a step. How did you become the U.S. attorney? How does somebody get hired by Donald Trump? Yeah, I think um, like everybody else, I didn't think he was going to win that election um, and was a little surprised when I woke up the day after the election to, to see that. And so um, I think, the, you know, I hadn't really even thought about being U.S. attorney. And although I'd known John Southers, as we talked about earlier, and he was um, after he lost the attorney general's race. In 1998, he became the U.S. attorney under George Bush. And so I talked to him about that experience a lot and knew it was a pretty cool job and, and a great way to serve the country. And and um, and so, you know, um, you know, what was the best part of John's job there is that he would what? see me at the Quiznos at 17th <laughs> and Larimer. Yep, yep. Yeah. And so we would chat then. What a great guy. But we can't talk about <laughs> him. Is. Your time is limited. Keep going. That's right. Yes. And he's now my law partner, by the way. He oh, just left in mayor of Colorado Springs and he's joined our oh, firm. Oh, Brown's team got John Southers? Yes, yes. Can I just go? You came out of Brownstein. That's got to be part of this story. And let me just tell you that my old man, he coached. Brownstein and Farber at Sloan's Lake when they were little boys. He told me <laughs> yeah. what they were like when they were little kids. Gosh, Steve was on with me before he passed, but Norm and I, we kibitz all the time, so yep. keep going. And now he's yeah, got well, John Southers. Way to go, yeah. Norm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I lost my train of thought there. Um, That's all right. Back oh, so to, how I became yes. Yeah, so um, I think the, when I first actually became interested, I wasn't even really thinking about it in – Surprisingly, um, there was a newspaper article that said, you know, here are the likely names to be U.S. attorney in, in Colorado. And my name was on the list. And uh, so people started asking me about it. And first I said, no, I'm not really interested. And then people kept asking me about it. And finally, I went to people like Norm Brownstein and Steve Farber and John Southers. And I said, hey, what do you think about this? Say and no she, more. Say no more. No, no, I keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so I, I reached out to to Corey Gardner, who was our senator at the time, and was also a, a friend of mine and my law school classmate. And uh, I said, hey, I think I might be interested in this, and I'm going to take the Christmas break to kind of chew on it a little bit and, and talk to my wife. And came back after that and, and reached out to him again, said, I'm, I'm interested. And I know that uh, he was going to kind of spearhead that effort for the administration in Colorado, like we talked about, as the as the uh, ranking Republican senator in Colorado at the time. And um Long story short, um, you know, he put up a couple names, and then after conversations with the White House and the Department of Justice, I got the got the nomination from the president. And I will say that Michael Bennett, um, you know, um, was on board and returned the so called blue slip to allow my nomination to go through. And actually, both Senator Gardner and Senator Bennett came and spoke at my uh, swearing in ceremony. Well, it's great. And I asked uh, Tim Coe. I call him Tim Coe because I'm a little older than Tim Timkovich. I played basketball with him at CSC, and then we roomed together back in 1980 up in Boulder. Okay? Same pedigree as you. 
He yep. said Jason Dunn is one of the finest, right? He has known you for a long time, and I've known Tempco for a long time. And tell me if this is true, that if you asked a busy Denver District Court judge, well, how's this DA doing? How's Beth McCann doing? They would probably have a good take on it. Now, I know Tempco's in the appellate court, but he said you had a reputation among the judges of getting the job done. That, to me, is the highest compliment. How do you think you did? Um, well, like I said, I, I guess I'd primarily leave that up to others. I, you know, I think it went well. I think the staff, I, you know, I really tried to, uh, I mean, it was a well-run office. So, you know, the U.S., you know, I sort of only half-jokingly say I wouldn't have, you know, but for the president, I never would have gotten in that office. And, uh, you know, it, it, I mean, everybody, every time we'd have an opening, we'd have two or 300 resumes, and they're all gold-plated Harvard, Yale, Stanford. People are willing to give up, you know, three or $400,000 a year uh, as time a out, you know, law time firm. Time out, time out. What's yeah. wrong with CU Law? Nothing. I'm a CU Law guy. So but, is uh, Temco, and yeah. so are a lot yes, of smart yes. people, right? Okay, yes. keep going. Yeah, but I'm talking about, you know, you know what I'm saying, the, the, the sort of the best of the best resumes. I know. And these people would give up, you know, East Coast huge salaries to come and make $85,000. Now, some of that is they want to live in Colorado, but a lot of it is they want to be a federal prosecutor. And... Uh, so I tried to, you know, I I tried to make sure that people had the resources they need, that the office was well run, that we were, that we were fair with, um, with the courts and with defendants and with public defenders office and, and ran a, you know, a smooth operation and uh, made sure that, um, you know, talent was recognized and that people were appreciated and, uh, you know, I just tried to, to kind of do a good job and I didn't make huge changes. I kind of reorganized the criminal division a little bit, but um, you know, it was a well-run office before I got there and, and hopefully, you know, if I made some marginal improvements on it while I was there and uh, before I left, then, then I'll take that as a positive. Now, do you consider yourself a better courtroom lawyer or an administrator? Boy, that's a tough question. I don't know. I'd like to think I'm, I'm decent at both. Um, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. Did you try cases personally as a U.S. attorney? I didn't get a chance to. I was about to. Um, I was trying to figure out, you know, I wanted to take the first year to kind of get my feet under me and get to know the office, get to know the people, and then start thinking about that. I was going to think about taking the 10th Circuit argument as well. And then, of course, the pandemic hit and the courts shut down. And, um, you know, that was probably the, the worst part of the job was that we had to send everybody home. Um, the, the criminal folks were deemed essential so they could keep working. The civil side of the office, which which did fantastic works uh, work on things like opioids and protecting our our, our uh, public lands and things like that, were were shut down completely, and because they were told they were non essential, which I think um, did not oh, go over it. well with them. I, I remember COVID, and yeah. so you don't have to justify yeah. that. And and it, it, your term was pretty short. No offense, but thank God. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> the, the bottom line is she had a career before then. So tell us about your greatest courtroom case ever. Boy, I'll t well, I'll tell you a funny story. I'll tell you the first time I ordered in federal, argued, and I was just telling this to someone the other day. The first time I argued in federal court, um, I was actually at the at the um, I think in I was at the attorney general's office, uh, and the state of Colorado had about by ballot initiative had just passed a smoking ban on all public places in Colorado. But they exempted out a few places like the smoking lounge at DIA and the cigar bar at the Brown Palace and a couple other places. And so they were sued by all the, you know, kind of dive bar owners who who tend to have patrons who smoke a lot. 
and they were sued in federal court under under the equal protection clause of the United States Constitution. So I, I said, well, it's like a fun case. I'll take that. So I grabbed that case and, and decided to do it. And I'd never been in federal court before. And um, and so uh, the day of the argument where, when trial was going to start, um, I uh, I parked at about eight o'clock in the morning by around the corner from the federal courthouse in downtown. And I came around the corner and there were like four satellite trucks in front. There were reporters all outside. There were protesters all outside. And I thought, my God, what have I gotten myself into? And uh, I went in and uh, had, uh, I think it was Judge Mage. And uh, the courtroom was packed with uh, opponents of the ballot initiative who were sort of heckling the whole time, you know, while I was up at the, up arguing. And I think Mage gave him a little leeway to do that. And uh, he ultimately ruled in, in our favor. But um, that was kind of my first experience in federal court. Holy cow, um, that's beauty. I was in yep. front of Judge Mage a time or two, and that dude was intimidating. Yep, he is for sure, for sure. Um, so that was fun. I've argued five or six cases in the Colorado Supreme Court, um, which is always fun. And, you know, that's, I, as I said during my swearing-in so- ceremony, you know, I, I obviously Justice Coates, who I clerked for, was on the bench while I was arguing. And I think I was more nervous about whether he – you know, was thinking I was doing a good job than, than I was actually, you know, about winning my case. Um, and of course, a lot of other people on the court that I knew, you know, from a personal level as well. But um, so that was always, I think I would have been less nervous in the U.S. Supreme Court because I didn't have those personal relationships with the justices like I do on the, on the Colorado Supreme Court. And, so. and, 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 you know, that nervousness, and I get charged up just listening to the stories, especially about the TV trailer trucks, because you got to use that nervous energy. But I think part of it, besides the public performance, is the fact that judges have so much authority, right? When you're making an argument to the court or a jury has so much power that it's it's kind of staggering. And when you make an appellate argument or, or to the yep. Supreme Court and, and there's a, a matter of authority and from everything I've heard, Judge Tanya Chutkin is the real deal. Like Richard Mage, only nicer, younger, better looking, happens to be black and female. And she's in her peak. She worked for a big, prestigious firm, a public defender before that, married to a lawyer, got approved 95 nothing by the Senate. And today she said to Donald Trump's lawyers, hey, you know what? You are in my court now, and I have the authority, and I need to administer justice here, and you need to obey, and your client needs to obey. How do you think this is going to work out? Yeah, it's a really interesting situation because, um, frankly, I can see both sides of it. Obviously, we are a democracy, and we have citizen servants who are elected to offices, including the president, who return to being a citizen. And who are, um, like all citizens, can be held account for their conduct in our justice system, and that's what's happening here. Um, But the reality is also that Donald Trump is not only running for president, but he is the leading candidate on the Republican side. And you have a situation where um, he's obviously going to have to talk about the case on the the campaign trail, um, and he should be free to do so. Um, But at the same time, obviously, you can't have somebody intimidating witnesses or trying to influence um, a jury before they're even picked and those kinds of things. So it's a tough thing. And I'll tell you something I was thinking about recently. The prosecution asked for 
um, a trial date now of, of, of this coming January. January, too. Actually, they asked to start picking the jury in mid-December. In December, And yeah. can I say, that's my birthday time, and I would consider it a present. Keep going. <laughs> well, and as you know, having done this, um, you know, that picking a jury is going to take probably weeks in this case. Not in uh, federal court. I mean, well, they may they may try to move it quickly. Well, you know, you know, he's going to ask for a change of face. He's going to ask for everything. Yep. But here's the thing. So here's the question I have. So you're going to have he's. He, I, I would assume he will be there. Um, most you know, every defendant is there while you're picking a jury. Um, no, no, no. Gonna, let's not get that far because I have been in front lines. I've dealt with a lot of Michigan defendants. You can ask Norm Brownstein. That means they're off their rocker. They're loco in the cocoa. Okay. Donald Trump's spinning out of control, and he won't stop making threats against the prosecutors and against the judge and demeaning them, and maybe they can take it. We're spending a fortune for security, but he's going to start threatening witnesses, and he's going to push it just like a teenager who just won't behave. And eventually, she's going to have to take charge, and you made these arguments about his special job, which were rejected by her today. It's yep. a day job. I've heard it in court. Hey, judge, I'm a doctor or I'm I'm a pilot. I can't come back. Bullshit. It all is secondary when you're in a criminal case. You've lost well, the let's, power. Let's, 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 let me push back on that a little bit. Let's say that he becomes the nominee, which I think will happen in June. So let's say the trial, they're going to push the trial back. They'll get She'll give them some leeway on that. So the trial is going to get pushed. Now, will it be pushed past the nomination in, I guess it's in June or something Jason, like that? Jason, what I'm saying is this weekend, maybe before this show is aired, Trump is going to say something. Well, it's I going agree, yeah. to come to a court it, it, hearing yeah. long before any primary, long before the end of August, I do believe. Yeah. yeah. No, he'll say something and she will have to reprimand him. I don't think there's any question. Uh, now, right, but then, the but play it out. What happens next? A reprimand's yeah. not going to do it with this guy. He just will not recognize the authority of this black female judge. Yeah, I, I, I think that's highly likely. And she can fine him, of course. She can hold him in contempt. She could even imprison him. Yes, um, yes. Now we're talking. I don't know if it'll get to that. I, I, I think it's going to get to that. And I think he kind of wants it because he knows jails are waiting and he wants to stir things up. Which just gets us to the underlying case of USA v. Trump. Let's back up a little. You were in office, right, on January 6th? I will, uh, no, no. Of wait a minute, January uh, oh, yes, I was. 6th, sorry, yes, yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, what am I yeah, yeah, January 6th, <laughs> yeah. 2021. Yeah. Yep, yep. I, I, I'm just wondering w- what it felt like from the desk of the U.S. attorney. Yeah, so I was, yeah, I was sitting, I was actually at home, um, because we were in the pandemic, and um, I remember calling my son in to watch the TV. Um, how old, as it was how old is he? He's 16 now, so a couple years ago. Um, and, um, uh, and talking about it and realizing kind of the historic nature of what was happening. Um, I remember going back to the office and, um, I think I sent out an office wide email the next day, sort of, you know, saying, Hey, you know, the rule of law is going to prevail. I, you'll, you can find press statements where I, you know, I was pretty, even while I was still U S attorney, I was pretty, um, forward in saying, um, 
as I did during the riots in Denver the summer before over the George Floyd protests. And I said, those people ought to be prosecuted if they're destroying public property. Of so, um, if so harming sti- people. Yeah, so it's stipulated. And I know we only have yeah. uh, 17 more minutes. And I said the yeah. people that on January 6th should be prosecuted as well. Right, right, said, right. Well, but you, before, I, I want to know when you started watching. Because I watched the speeches at the Ellipse. And I cannot believe it when Rudy Giuliani, former... U.S. attorney yep. talked about trial by combat, and I couldn't believe what I heard John Eastman say, who I knew was working at CU and was regular on the Hugh Hewitt show, and he was talking about this, and then that congressman from Alabama says, we're going to kick some ass, and then the president said it all but worse, and he said, we're yep. going to the Capitol, I'm going to be there with you. Did you watch that, Jason Dunn? I did. Oh, I don't know. I didn't, I, I didn't, I don't recall watching the, much of the speeches beforehand. I mean, I considered that kind of blowhard stuff, but, um, so I don't, you know, I, I didn't really watch the speeches, but certainly all of a sudden when people were storming the Capitol, I turned on the TV, I think. And then but, you know, t- I mean, t- I think where you're going, you know, this is a really interesting question because the charges that have been brought against Trump are are not going to be easy. And, and I don't, no, this is not a slam dunk no, case. No, by they're any they're not, but I, I don't want to go to the charges quite yet. I want to go to your gut feeling right. because I felt it in my gut when that happened. I felt dispirited. It was one of the worst days in American history. I felt victimized. I bet you've been in that Capitol building more than me, but I've been there enough memorable times that it just hurt me as an American. How about you? Well, I totally agree. Um, I mean, I think it was a dark day. I think, I think that um, you know we should all be embarrassed as Americans about what happened. I think the people who were who were kind of many of the people, not all, but many of the people who actually stormed the Capitol were duped and um, were kind of played for patsies and, and sort of enticed to do that. A whole bunch of a whole lot of people, including the president. Um, but do I? You know, it's another. You know, this is the lawyer me coming out. It, you know, is it criminal? I don't know. I think that's well, a very different question. Why didn't charge it? Uh, Jack Smith smart enough to just say that Trump exploited it with his two twenty four tweet against Pence. Yep. He didn't do the right yep. thing. He confirmed that to Jonathan Carl. Carl, yep. you got a president who wanted his vice president killed. Now Mike Pence is the witness against him. Trump wants to be able to disparage him on the campaign trail. He's denying that he ever said you're too honest, Mike Pence. As as regards that dispute, which is sort of a litmus test, Trump then says and swore to it under oath, Trump said when he was frustrated that he wouldn't go along, you are too honest. Now, Trump has denied that. I believe Mike Pence. Who do you believe? I tend to believe Mike Pence. And doesn't that indicate everything you need to know about this guy? I mean, a thousand other things, too. And I'll just put it to you. How come you didn't resign? After January 6th? Um, well, I think a lot of the facts, first of all, about how it sort of got to that point were not known initially. And, um, and then remember, I left on February 28th. We were asked to resign by the new administration. Why not leave so, earlier like a lot of cabinet members did? Yeah, they could. And I could have, I suppose. Um, but you but know, then, you know, would I mean, be, I, then you'd be regarded as a non-loyalist, right? Well, I don't care about that, um, but I felt like I was the U.S. Attorney for Colorado, and I was doing my job in Colorado, and my job was to prosecute federal crimes and defend the interests of the United States within the District of Colorado, and 
And I could do that. Yeah, I was presidentially appointed, but, um, you know, people, one of the questions I often get is, you know, how, how much was the president telling you what to do or how much freedom did you have as U.S. attorney? And it was, it was, we were almost fully independent. Um, you know, we could choose to prosecute the cases we wanted to prosecute and um, act the way we want and organize our offices the way we wanted. So, um, you know, I didn't feel like I was under the thumb of Donald Trump while I was U.S. attorney. And, I believe you know, that. I believe that. Yeah. Though you did get that Bill Barr memo to look for election bullshit that Trump was alleging. We but, did. We did. But you didn't find any, right? No. Yeah. Uh, Kai, you know, can, fact, can we just Colorado elections are clean no matter what Tina Peters says. Would you agree with me? I gave the, I gave the Secretary of State's office an award after the election for how well our election was conducted in Colorado. Well, maybe you haven't consulted Jenna Ellis. You know, she's a Colorado <laughs> lawyer just like yes. us. Did you ever see her in yes. an appellate yes. court arguing in a, ca a case? God forbid. I have not. I have not. I want to get to you. You could do radio, man, because you're good at segues, because you said you're <laughs> concerned about Colorado, so am I. And I see Colorado connections galore to the big lie, which led to January 6th, which may lead to the downfall of America. And I read that Jack Smith indictment, and in mid-November, Rudy Giuliani had a meeting with Donald Trump after they laid the stage, I really won, and then they put out the troops, and Jen Ellis went on Dan Kaplan's show and said, stop this deal, send money here, and she did that days in a row. And a guy named Joe Oldman, who I never heard of from some podcast, Conservative Daily, he has Randy Corcoran as a guy who knows him in that show, brings him on 710KNUS, puts him on Peter Boyle's show, puts him on George Proctor's show. And what is Altman saying? Hey, I intercepted an Antifa call by a guy named Eric, and I put it together at Sarah Coomer at Dominion, out at Denver, the old spaghetti factory. They fixed the election. This guy, I have the proof. I infiltrated the call. You'd think that's stupid, but the Trump family picked up on it, started tweeting it. Donald Trump started accusing Dominion, and then Sidney Powell comes to us by way of I heard him on Chuck and I heard her on Chuck and Julie for a long time. She was saying the wildest things. Then she became part of this crew, Lynn Wood with Jean Benet and Kobe Bryant connections. I could go on, but have you explored any of the Colorado connections to January 6th? Well, I'm a, I mean, I'm certainly aware of all of that. I will tell you that um, I felt very confident that a, the elections in Colorado were conducted perfectly. I mean, there's always sort of, you know, tiny little things. I think during the election, like we had somebody start a fire in one of the uh, drop off mailboxes, you know, and burn a bunch of ballots or something like that. But you always get little things like that. But um, we have a very clean election here and very well-run elections in Colorado. And I, you know, Dominion, they're technically, I think, a Canadian company, but they're, they're, they're headquarters, their headquarters is in Denver. And, and I really got concerned because I learned as well as U.S. Attorney through the FBI that um, there were actually death threats. And this has now been publicly reported, but um, 60 Minutes had a whole thing on it. And, um, you know, there were the, the lives of Dominion employees were at risk to the point where they were having to put employees in hiding you know, elsewhere in the state. And the FBI was heavily involved. And I, I get very defensive when it comes to Colorado citizens and, and Colorado companies. And um, so I spoke out as U.S. attorney that, that that was outrageous and that 
um, that employees of Dominion should not be receiving death threats and should not be threatened, and we would prosecute those to the to the full extent of the law. So, I, I, and I will, in full disclaimer, I didn't realize at the time, but my prior and now current law firm represents Dominion, not so much on like the defamation stuff, but we did represent them on some election matter stuff. Um, and they were actually in the same building as my law firm. So when I came back to the firm, there were actually off-duty armed police officers um, every day in the lobby because the, the Dominion was getting death threats. Um, and, you know, I really took offense to that. So I spoke up pretty um, pretty adamantly about um, Dominion and, and saying that, um, you know, all these things that were being said about them were just simply not true. Right. But it was put out there by the Trump campaign. It was put yep. out there by the Trumps themselves. That's true. That I, I just, uh, yeah, let's go back to USAB Trump because I think it's the case of this century. In fact, I'm starting a new show called Craig's Colorado Corner. We're going to put together smart lawyers like you. I'd love for you to be a panelist this week. Uh, Speaker Terrence Carroll is going to be there. Mario Nicholas, who worked on the Rudy Giuliani campaign. I mean, my God, let's just stop there for a second, because I was a prosecutor for 16 years. You've had these huge prosecution jobs. Rudy used to be a prosecution hero. Now he's a complete zero. Conspirator mm -hmm. number one. How do you feel about that guy? Have you ever met him? Uh, I have met him briefly. Um, I think he sold his soul. Um, you know, he he helped concoct some of these crazy ideas and sold them to the president. And um, uh, you know, he—I don't know if it was for money or or what, but um, yeah, he obviously destroyed his his reputation and his name. Now, why aren't you on TV like Joyce Vance or Harry Littman? You've got the title. I mean, I, I have a face for radio. I, I understand that. And uh, you don't have to dress up. But I do like following the analysis. I don't feel quite qualified because my federal experience is limited. It really is federal prosecutors, although Fonnie Willis and Alvin Bragg are getting involved with state charges. But I think there's some superstars out there, and I wonder if you know any of these guys. Neil Katyal, do you know him? Uh -huh. I don't know him personally, but I know him. Yep. You know who knows him? Our buddy Tempco. And yep. he told me that he testified on behalf of Neil Gorsuch. Yep. Do you remember yep. that? Did you know yep, that? Yep, I do. Yep. Well, now everybody knows it. I can't yep. have secrets. Do you know who else was under me at the DA's office and I had trained pretty darn well? guy named Phil Bremer, who just yeah. ruled that, uh, yep. you know, on that gun law, and he's following the law, and he's a great guy, he's super smart, but yep. I just hated to hear on uh, former radio stations hosts that I used to respect just cheering that on, because to me, it's not a cause for celebration, even if that side won, I don't think it's good for the gun crime problem in our community. But you were a U.S. attorney. How serious is the problem? And do you think it's worth cheering that decision? Even It may be correct, and I presume Phil knows what he's doing. But to me, it doesn't make me happy. Well, um, gun crime is a uh, huge problem. And, and when I was U.S. attorney, we tried a variety of ways to go after that and take it very seriously. Um, and very, and went after it very aggressively. 
Um, I think that ghost guns should be prohibited and we went after manufacturers of ghost guns and, um, arms dealers and all kinds of things when I was U S attorney. So, um, I, it's a huge problem in our community. It's a huge problem in our country, no doubt about it. Um, you know, that said, I think, you know, you can obviously you could do show after show after show just on debating gun laws. But, um, you know, I mean, I think that a lot of these are, are kind of um, around the edges. I mean, whether or not someone can buy a gun at 18 or 21, I'm not sure will impact, um, you know, the, the violence one way or the other. Yeah, right. There are no easy answers. I've been doing this for a long time and we tried things at the Denver DA's office and thank you for going after ghost guns. Let's put some things either uh, to bed or throw them out there. Allegations that the FBI is corrupt. You would know a lot better than most people, are they? No. doesn't mean they don't make mistakes, but they are public servants just like um, our military uniformed personnel. Um, they are dedicated. They serve um, around the clock, around the world. Um, they are true public servants who who do fantastic work very quietly and, you know, in the background and, and, um, and are just tremendous public servants who the vast majority of which do it with integrity and ethics. I don't know if you remember the interview. I believe it was Donald Trump with Barbara Walters. Occasionally the guy will spill everything. And he said, the reason I attack the media is because they're going to tell the truth about me. Of course, I have to fight back. To me, that's what he's doing to the FBI and the DOJ, disparaging them as they reveal truths about him. And and is that another way of uh, what you just said? Or you well, don't sure. have to adopt that. I'll withdraw the question. I, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I followed the question. But <laughs> well, no, it's a bad one. Let me ask you that. It's another bad one. Is there a deep state? Uh, uh, it depends what you mean by that. Um a group of shadowy figures dedicated to undermining Donald Trump from the start, including fixing the Dominion voting machines and the Twitter no. files, everything. And you know, there are Jewish space lasers involved too. No, I I do not I do not think that. I think there are you know, um, it's really interesting. My my law partner's guy named Dave Bernhardt. I don't know if you know who he is. He yeah, was Secretary, Secretary of, the, yeah. of the Interior. Yeah, yeah, he's a very smart guy. He's a Colorado guy. He's from Rifle. He I just know. Put out a book. He just put out a book. He, I expect a commission on this if, if it helps him. But um, he just put out a book called um, "You Report to Me," and it's a book about um, his time as Solicitor General and um, head of the Department of Interior and sort of the bureaucracy and how the administrative straight state um, kind of works against those who are sort of the political appointees and how they stall and cajole and, and move things around and, and basically just try to thwart the political appointees so that they can kind of do what they think should be done with, you know, large government bureaucracies. And I think there's some truth in that. And uh, so, you know, to the extent that's a deep state, I suppose I agree with that. But, um, you know, sort of these conspiracy theories that you're talking about, no, I don't I am glad you brought David up. One, could you please tell him I'd like to have him on my show? What an amazing job he did as interior secretary, and not that many people think about him, talk about him, because I haven't really heard him outspoken on the issues that matter to me. And I've heard a lot of people say that a majority of Trump's cabinet think he's unfit to be president again. 
Do you know how David weighed in on that or if he did? Um, I think he's a supporter. He believes that Donald Trump is equipped to have a, another term, another go at it? I, I'm, I'm guessing. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I, that's my sense. All right. Extend my invitation. I will. You don't have I to will. talk. You're more than enough interesting. And do you have further political aspirations? What if Donald Trump asked you to serve again? <laughs> well, uh, all you'd have to do is Google my comments about him, and I don't think that's going to happen. Which so ones? I'll Google it right now. Well, you know, I've just been I've been critical about um, his tell me the worst more. thing you said. I'll tell you what I've said. Keep going. Well, like just the comments about the FBI and the Department of Justice and, and the January 6th and whether they should be prosecuted or not. And, um, you know, I've just been pretty about Dominion, all those things that we've just talked about. I've been, you know, not um, in alignment with the former president on any of those things. Is that why you came on my show? I was so thrilled. I mean, I think this great <laughs> interview. Why did you decide to come on my show? Because you asked, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to anybody. I'm happy to talk. I mean, I think, I do think, you know, I think I'm in a, um, you know, I, I use a line often in politics and I say, you know, every time I'm, every time I wonder why I'm still a Republican, the Democrats remind me. And, um, you know, that's kind of about where I'm at politically right now. And uh, you, you must be working in downtown Denver and looking around. I mean, I, that's a problem. I concede it. Holy cow, yeah. we've got a lot of problems in the Dems. Need to come up with answers. But Mike Johnston was on my show twice. Let's give him a good chance. Yep. I love Denver, don't you? Of course, yeah. I mean, some people have just gotten to the point where they root against Denver. Call it hell, Denver in decay. You got people rooting against the women's soccer team. What's going on, Jason? Um, you know, I think, you know, some. well, first of all, the, the crime issues have been used as, as a political um, weapon. And I think somewhat rightfully so, right? I mean, I think crime has been awful for the last, whatever, five to 10 years. And, and, uh, that's a fair political, um, point. Um, and you know, those in charge of, of big cities and in Denver haven't fixed the problem. There's a, now you can talk about why that is, but, and there's external factors and all those kind of things. But the bottom line is, you know, the buck stops with whoever's in charge and, and those problems have not only not been fixed, they've gotten a heck of a lot worse. Our fentanyl problems, you know, when I was U.S. attorney, I harped on the fentanyl problem hard. And I went to Phil Weiser and the legislature and I said, you guys got to do something about this. And, you know, for the first year I was U.S. attorney, I was pretty much ignored. And then the fentanyl problem exploded and then everybody started doing something about it. But, um, uh, you know, I mean, those are just all compounding problems. And I think fair political points. No, it takes time. Phil Van Sice is an anomaly, all that he got accomplished in one term. You know, when I did my homework, it included going to City Park Golf Course with Tim Timkovich, and the guy won't even let me buy him lunch. That's how ethical <laughs> he is. In fact, yep, yep. I made him overpay because I didn't have enough dollar bills. And then I went on <laughs> to play 18 without him while he went to write another great appellate opinion. In yep. any event... Clarence Thomas, he would have let me buy him lunch. He would have let me buy him a trip around the world if I was a billionaire. I doubt he would have gone to City Park. He's a free member of all the top clubs. I mean, this is ridiculous what uh, the media has exposed about Clarence Thomas. Billionaires seem to be buying friendships. And when you say they had no direct business in front of the court, best I can tell, they were all committed to ending Roe v. Wade, and darned if Clarence Thomas didn't deliver. This just stinks. I'm worried about the rule of law. 
what say you? Well, I think perception is reality and it doesn't look good. And, and, you know, I, I wish we could go back to it, the days when the U S Supreme court was sort of the sleepy third branch of government that nobody paid attention to, but that kind of ended with citizens United and the Clarence Thomas hearings. And, um, and so it's unfortunately becoming more and more of a political branch and, you know, the, uh, overturning of Roe obviously is now even made that more so. So it's really unfortunate that the confirmation hearing process is out of control and it's unfortunately way too political. Um, and, um, so, right, you but, know, but, but I think, but, but it, maybe, you know, this, and I know your time is limited, but I hear about a judicial conference. I mean, Sheldon Whitehouse keeps saying there are a bunch of judges like Timco. I'm not going to give up our conversations, but bunch of high-powered appellate and district court judges who say this is bullshit. We're going by the rules, and we have this judicial conference, and we can say this or do that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does, is anybody able to rein these guys in? Uh, well, are you talking about the Supreme Court justices? Yes, the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a there's a sort of very academic legal question about whether or not Congress can put limitations on the Supreme Court on what they can do. But like I said, number one, I think perception is reality and, and the public has lost, you know, is losing more faith in the Supreme Court and this stuff with Clarence Thomas certainly does not help with that. Right. That and said, there, are, there are Democrat I mean, abuses too. And, and right, like Sotomayor gets free this and free that. But it's, it's like when I bring up January 6th and USA v. Trump, people say, well, what about Joe Biden? What about, it's like apples to watermelons. But let me just go back to that because I don't think uh, I, I got this bit of agreement on your buddy David Weiss. Would you agree that it's really not right to call it a Biden crime family without proof that Joe Biden was corrupt. I mean, we talked about Ben Coates, who we both agreed is not corrupt. I don't know Joe Biden like I know Ben Coates, but I don't think Joe is corrupt. Hunter, yes. But do you agree that that's the big enchilada, whether or not Joe Biden was corrupt and so far there's nothing? Um. I, if you'd asked me a month ago, I would say, I look, I think, you know, I disagree with Joe Biden on, on policy in a lot of different ways. And I don't think he's doing a good job as president. Um, but um, I think, at least I thought, and I still generally think he's a good human being and a good person who wants the best for the country. Um, now, there seems to be, and I can't say I've got into the weeds on this, but there appears to be um, some evidence that when Hunter, you know, was trying to impress his business colleagues or people he was doing business with, and he would say, hey, you know, look, uh, let me get my dad on the phone and, you know, I'll show you what great access I have to the vice president of the United States. And Joe Biden seemed to be more more than willing to do that on numerous occasions and sort of schmooze for Hunter Biden's business benefits. That's as best I can You'll tell. Do it. That. So You'll do that for your kid and I'll do that for mine. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I just get a great job like that, son. Oh, no, really, Biden should have had better judgment. And in his yeah. defense, maybe he was distracted. And you know what? I think they have been fudging the truth. But bottom line is if he's on the take for $10,000 or $10 million, whatever it is, then he's got to go too. But I don't see any evidence that Joe Biden is on the take. Do you? I haven't seen any, no. All right. So it's wrong to call it a Biden crime family. That's just not right, is it? 
Yeah, I didn't. I haven't seen any evidence to say that. Right, Hunter. He's another issue, and in his yep. defense, his brother was dying, and uh, you know he suffered from an addiction, and yep. that's what I think Donald Trump suffers from. I I've seen judges tell defendants, and you've probably seen this too. Look, the condition of your bond is you have to remain sober. But the guy's an alcoholic; he's going to drink. Donald Trump will not be able to resist disparaging people as he reads their testimony from the grand jury, stuff that's supposed to be private, and he's going to threaten witnesses. And that's why I think Judge Chutkin, who said you're going to be like any other defendant, has nothing she can do but to lock him up. I just see this coming. I mean, I I just I can't imagine we'll get to that point. I suppose it could, but. Here's the question I was hoping you'd ask that I, is yeah, interesting and we Please. may disagree on Please. is, um, you know, a, the, the prosecution has said they'll need four to six weeks for a trial. If you have a trial in the middle of the general election, you know, sometime in, you know, whenever, if it's in the summer or whenever, um, you know, and you have a perhaps even the nominee of one party to, for the presidential election, having to take time away from the campaign for four to six weeks to sit in a criminal trial. Well, a milkman has to miss his job, too. I mean, who cares if you're a pilot, if you're a senator? Don't do the crime. You you got indicted, buddy. But he's presumed innocent until proven guilty. He is, he is. And we're going to take one party's nominee off the table who's presumed innocent and, gonna, and make them sit through a six week trial when the election is, you know, around the corner. I don't you know. know is that yeah, right? Here's, here's the key. Cause Donald Trump never gets numbers right, except occasionally. Okay. Do you know how many documents there are? The prosecution disclosed, although they said we've organized it all. It'll be easy to follow. 11.6 million documents in yeah. discovery. And you know yeah. what that's close to that 11.6 it's close to 11.78, which is 11,780 votes that Trump said he needed in <laughs> Georgia. Okay, now, now when you heard that tape to Brad Raffensperger, didn't yep. your instincts as a longtime prosecutor, former U.S. attorney, say, well, that's a crime? Uh, you know, I, I think I may be in the minority here, but I guess the short answer is no. Um I, you know, I, I don't think he was thinking like, hey, Rathenscriver, a guy he didn't know, or however you say his name, he wasn't saying, go manufacture fake votes. I think he was saying, look, go figure it out. Do what they're doing. Go find, you know, go find ballots that haven't been counted. Go do whatever. I don't care what you have to do. Just go find 11,000 votes so we can win this thing. And when he said, you know, if you don't do this, if you certify a bogus election, then you could go to jail yourself. You could be committing a crime. Is that okay? Is that kosher? Well, you know, and this is what his trial is going to come down to, is what did Donald Trump believe? Does Donald Trump really believe the election was stolen? Does well, he believe well, he but even if he, yeah, Even if I think you owe me money, can I make a fake wire transfer from your bank account? You well, do no, owe me. You do not. owe me two hundred dollars. But, but what this, he's saying to Rathuscar, he's saying if, if Trump really believed that he won Georgia, and he's saying to the guy, "Look, you can't certify it. That's illegal because you're certifying an incorrect result." So you can create false electors. 
You can make up a story about two black women and say they were passing around ballots like cocaine and well, heroin, yeah, and then, then you were. Facts, he, and right. Jack Smith said he was not. told that no. was bullshit made up by Rudy Giuliani, no. who's admitted it. But he no. kept saying it, and he said it repeatedly on January 6th to work up these white supremacists yep. who went yep. into the Capitol. What did you think when you saw that Confederate flag going through the Capitol? Yeah, that's horrible. I'll tell you one of the things that did actually make me proud was in the indictment where it talked about um, in in Georgia and in Nevada and uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania, I think, um, you know, seven different states that um, that after after the election, they reached out to, I think, I think all Republican elected officials, speakers of the House or secretaries of state and said, you got to do this. You got to appoint these false electors. You got to do this, this and this. And he was universally rebuffed by all of them. They all just said, sorry, I don't have the authority to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to certify the election the way it is. And now there were some obviously some places where they did other certified, you know, um, I guess, fake electors. Right. Um, and now they're, they're being prosecuted. Do you approve of that? I mean, uh, I'll, I'll give you your due. There are so many Republican heroes like Brad Raffensperger. Yeah. What's his name? Rusty Bowers down in uh, Arizona, the Maricopa County guy, the Philadelphia yep. guy, the Republican Schmidt. Well, I, mean, I know so the U.S. Many... attorney in Atlanta who refused, right? And yes, Trump another hero. That. Yep. To tell a, that story guy. if you can. Well, B.J. Pock was the U.S. attorney for, um, I think, the Atlanta area. Um, and, you know, obviously was asked to... Um, you know, I think to some extent used his powers as U.S. attorney to try and um, change the result of the election. And he rebuffed that and was essentially fired. And the other one, you know, and I've talked to people who were in the room. If you read the indictment, there was a sort of um, an attempted coup at the Department of Justice. Yes. And um, and there was a, they were all summoned to a meeting at the White, at the God White House. God bless Richard Donahue and Jeffrey yep. Rosen, talked, American talked, heroes. Yeah, you know, I've talked to both those guys about it at length. Uh, and uh, tell us what you can. I want to hear. Well, I mean, they, you know, it was it was there was a another guy who was head of the civil division, a guy named Jeff Clark, who I know as well. And and um, it, it was you know, despite the chain of command, was talking to the White House. Oh wait, it's and, an, is, is that Jeff Benedict Clark? Is that his middle name? <laughs> Wasn't he exactly. the environmental lawyer who wanted to be Superman? And uh, yes, tell yes. everybody what you know about that guy because he's. He's co-conspirator five, right? Uh, yeah, co-conspirator four, four. Yeah. four. Yeah, okay, keep going. Yeah, and he was at the, you know, he. I'm not sure how that started, but he started talking to someone in the White House Counsel's office and said, "Hey, I think you know, you can um, write a memo that would tell um, the states what to do, and um, and and say that there's um, questions about the integrity of the election and." And so he gave this, you know, he's sort of back-channeling it to the White House, according to the allegations, which are just allegations. Have you ever thought, I mean, when you, I don't know if you drink or not, or I'm not going to even ask, but have you ever thought, gosh, if I'd have written a memo and snuck it to the White House, I could have been acting attorney general for a little while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they all were so, so Jeffrey Rosen, who at that point, you know, you got to be pretty inside baseball to follow all the names and positions. But I'm following it. Just, I, I love know, Jeffrey it. Rosen was the acting attorney general of the United States during, after Bill Barr left. Richard Donahue, who had been the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of New York, became the acting number two, the deputy attorney general. So on, I believe, um, New Year's Eve, January 31st, um, they're in the office 
Richard Donahue tells me the story that he's, I think he's in jeans and a t-shirt and, and um, Jeff Rosen walks in and says, um, we've been summoned to the Oval Office. And he said, I'm, I'm in jeans and a t-shirt. And he said, doesn't matter. You can just sit in the hallway. And uh, so they, they go to the White House. They're not even sure what it's about. And um, uh, Donahue tells me that he's, he's sitting in the hallway for about 30 seconds after they all go into the, uh, there's all going to the Oval Office. Door opens back up. Jeff Rosen says, get in here. So he goes into the Oval Office president's there behind the desk and also there's the white house counsel and jeff clark who who is head of the civil division in the, in the department of justice and basically the president again according to the allegations um says um you know mr clark here is telling me that you know i should just make him the attorney general of the united states and he'll say that the you know the election um was rigged and that the state should do all these things with electors and he looks at everybody in the room and says, you know, why shouldn't I do that? He, al- he already they- had the letter written. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, he had a memo written. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what was written to go uh, out. All right. it, yeah, I keep going yeah. because there's yeah, one so, uh, brave, you know, the story, the story warning, brave Republican lawyers standing up. Keep going. Yeah. And everybody in the room, including Pat Cipollone, I think, who was the White House counsel and and um, Jeff Rosen and, and, and Rich O'Donohue, Rich Donahue said, all of them said, you know, we will all resign. And you will lose everybody else at the department ju- at the top end of the Department of Justice as well if you do that. And didn't didn't Donahue memorialize Trump saying all you got to do is say there's a problem and the yep. House will take care of the rest. Yeah, there were. I mean, some of his emails have been made public. Um, you know, when when um, the president was sort of doing the back and forth before this meeting, trying to get them to do things and. Um, and so uh, they all said, no, so I guess to the president's credit somewhat, um, he said, OK, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And that was kind of the no, end wait, of the wait, let's not, I, I'm interrupting too much, but let's go back to that detail. Did they describe how Trump reacted? Did he just take it calmly? Like, whoa, all you guys are going to quit? Or did he get mad and say you? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't want to speculate. I don't know. All right. Tell us everything you can, because these guys are going to be witnesses if this plays out. And don't you think this is damning evidence? It's all going to come from Republicans. Isn't this evidence of consciousness of guilt? And what does it say about Jim Jordan and Jim Comer and the bad intent? And Trump knew they were in in the bag for them. And they're going to impeach Joe Biden without any evidence, just as retaliation. Don't you see how this could destroy democracy, Jason? Well, it's yeah, it's all not good. I mean, I you know, I wish um, I was I was actually reading something the other day about when um, Gerald Ford came in after President Nixon resigned and, and pardoned him. Um, you know, and, and I read the, the the letter he actually wrote saying, "I'm doing this for the good of the country," and he knew it would mean his own you know inability to be reelected um, and. Uh, you know, I was like, can't we just kind of make, wave a magic wand and make this all go away? He was um, a good think, man. You know, up yeah. in bail, he spent a lot of time. So does yep. Mike Ludig, another Republican yep. hero who told Pence what yep. to do from Colorado. Did you yep. know that part of the story that it was from I, Colorado? I heard him say that. I heard him say that on a podcast. He was in Colorado. Ah, yeah. See, now I have to ask, what's your favorite podcast? Yeah, I, you know, I've sort of listened to a few. I've been a huge. I liked when um, Bill Gates and uh, Rashida—I forget her last name—the comedian had one for a little while. That was really good. Um, there's three guys that do one on kind of economics and finance. I forget their names. I've listened to a little bit, but I'm not a huge podcaster. All right, but well, I, you know, you're not going to be my favorite U.S. attorney because I went fishing and I came up empty. But that's okay. <laughs> you've been more than a great sport about all of this, and. 
I hope you've had a good time with it. You've That's certainly fun. been I able to it. express yourself and have people get to know you. Do you believe that a camera should be in the courtroom for all of us to see it? I think we're all victims, and we have that right under the federal victim rights law. Uh, I'm not a fan of, of of publicizing our courts any further than we have. Well, don't, think, you, don't you think it's one-sided? I mean, you are a prosecutor. If I'm defending somebody uh, who's famous, I don't know, say you were going to charge uh, prime time, you know, not a good idea, but Deion Sanders. <laughs> and, and I, every day on the courthouse steps, we were saying this and that, and you can't say a damn thing. That's not very fair, right? Um, you know, but that's that's just part of being a prosecutor. I mean, you always live with the other side saying stuff, and your response is, "We don't talk about pending prosecutions." And you know, that's just that's just the way it is, and I'm okay with that. And um, you know, I just I just think we don't need more publicity about what's going on. You may be right about that, and it, and it would be like, well, we're going to do this for the first time in federal court history. Although in Denver, one of the times I spent a lot of time in U.S. District Court, the televised feed to Oklahoma City victims from Denver was yep. arranged. So yep. things can yep. happen. Yep. And uh, it includes me having on U.S. Attorney Jason Dunn. You've been really generous with your time. And I hope that uh, you had a great experience in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. All right. Bye, Jason. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor, Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaeldailylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey, everybody, for all of your legal needs, why not start with me? 734-7156, 303-734-7156. 
I've been practicing law in Colorado for over 42 years. And I know a lot of people. And if I can't do right by you, I can steer you in the right direction. My number, 303-734-7156. Ask for Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, a voice for people with legal difficulties. Hi, Craig. Troubadour, you are the best. What I do now? Time to plant everything. Is that our song? It's fantastic. I'm glad you like it. I'm looking at your album instead of you, the Connected album, my assigned copy. You're not being here just means one thing. It means that I wish I was there. More ice cream for me. You know, there are freezers. You could save it. Okay, I will. (laughs) Anyway, you contributed just a perfect song off your new album. It's uh, evocative. I was thinking that time to plant everything. I mean, the word everything is pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you can read into that song whatever you want. You could be, if you're a gardener, that's all you need to read into it. But there is room. There is room to uh, to look at other things as well. You know what I read into it is, hey, I had a good idea. I'm acting on it. I'm going to use your song, Time to Plan Everything, as my theme song. And we are going to have a spinoff podcast series. I've lined up the advertising. Great guests. We launch Monday morning, 8 a.m. And God willing... Yeah. I love your idea. I'm proud to be a part of it. And however I can contribute, and we'll start with the song. Well, I hope you like the new uh, spin-off series title, Craig's Colorado Corner. Cornering good conversation on legal and political issues here in our great state. I have on Terrence Carroll, an attorney. You don't have to be an attorney, but it doesn't hurt. Columnist at the Denver Post, peace officer, minister lawyer, first African-American speaker of the House, and then Mario Nicholas, who worked with Rudy Giuliani's campaign. Can you believe that? He was a Republican, succeeding, stalwart. Then, oh my, Donald Trump came along. And we're going to talk about USAB Trump. Did you see what happened on Friday? We're talking late Friday afternoon. I'm not even sure. Tell me. In Tanya We Trust. We've got federal judge Tanya Chutkin, who had the parties there. Not Donald Trump, but you can talk to the lawyers and tell them your commands. And a judge is like the king of their courtroom. And she said, look, a lot of important people come through here. I'm paraphrasing now, but forget about your day job. It would be like you in big trouble. And I said, hey, the guy has to compose songs. He has all these remodeling jobs. People are counting on him. What are you talking about? Do you know how busy lookout renovation is, Your Honor? And they would say, I hear that shit every day. Get your ass in here. Right. He doesn't even have a job. And if you could run for office and use that as an excuse, no. And she said the more difficult he makes things, then she may accelerate the trial because you have to protect the process. 
That's her job, to protect the fair administration of justice. So she put a warning on Donald Trump. What do you think he's going to do? She, wait, so she what? Issued a warning to Trump? Yeah, she said you can't disparage witnesses. You can't really threaten prosecutors or judges. Counsel, tell your client. And now we will find out probably very soon what he's going to do, what he thinks is going to happen. Well, so has he responded yet? He was playing golf today while the others were in court. (laughs) Okay, I'm sure it won't take him too long. That's what I say. It won't take much thought because there's never much thought in his his retort. We've all seen it coming. God bless him. He grew up to be a great doctor, but in Hebrew school, and I got kicked out of class a few times, but Jeff Kleiner, Dr. Jeff Kleiner, wow. He would not let it go when he thought he was right. And you knew he was going to get thrown out of the class. And it's sort of like when you perform, you've talked about that melee on your East Coast tour when somebody (laughs) did something anti-Semitic. But I bet people have had to be taken out of the bar in your performances many times. A lot of women have swooned and had to be... No, no, I'm talking about... Men who are out of control, 86, maybe women too. Yeah, bouncers. Yeah, well, uh, luckily that didn't happen much. I know, but there's a point where a bouncer needs to do his job, right? Right, yeah. And and we watch a ball game, right? And we've seen basketball games, and you can do a lot of things, but if you threaten the referee, then what what do you do? You're out. What if you what, yeah. what if you get the fans turned up to attack the referee? Then it's criminal. Then it's a criminal offense. We're getting beyond just uh, being thrown out of a game. Boy, you're smart because it won't just be up to Chutkin. If he starts intimidating witnesses or judges or prosecutors, those are a whole new crimes that uh, Jack Smith can get a grand jury to indict on. And I think... So- yeah, you are know, you alluding to, Craig, are you alluding to his statement, if you come after me, I'll come after you? Yeah, if he does that again. I mean, that was... See, once again, though, it's so generalized, you know. They're, she said, like, she used yeah. language, she said, if it can be reasonably interpreted as a threat, I'm going to interpret it that way. I need to Good. protect the process. You're no different Good. than any other criminal defendant. And that may mean he needs to go to jail. Here's another analogy. And you had two beautiful daughters. They didn't get in trouble. But think of like an out-of-control teenager having a tantrum. And then, you know, at a certain point, what are you going to do? If they, do you know what I'm saying? Or even as a, let's not picture a teenager because that's a little too frightening. Let's picture a five-year-old, right? And they keep throwing ketchup against the wall, something like that, just to pick an example. I mean, eventually you're going to have to say, you're going to go in this room and I'm going to close the door. You're going to think about that ketchup throw. Yep. And, and, And everybody's watching like it's a sitcom. And what Chutkin, Judge Chutkin has to do, she has to wait to the point that everybody in the audience would say, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to put him in a room. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, and I like the five-year-old analogy because that's getting pretty close yes. to, to, to Mr. Trump. Yes, it is. Yeah, but in some ways, Craig, the more, the more outlandish he is, right, 
the more and, and his, his the more outrageous his comments, the more the more it strengthens his position. You know, um, as someone who really is in his own world and isn't really knowing that he's lying. You know, there's going to be that defense. Well. Right, but we need people to peel away, and it's just not a defense, okay? Everybody's got this analysis wrong, and that's why I'm having this new show, because even if you sincerely believe you won Georgia, you cannot perpetrate a fraud to make it happen. If I think that you owe true. me 50 bucks, I can't go steal it out of your house. And I can't make up that I saw two black women take $50. You know, you just can't do those things. It's called right. fraud. It's prosecutable. It happens every day. Gosh, what an interview I had with Jason Dunn, Trump's appointee as U.S. attorney, and you're part of that great show. And so is your music. Do you remember what inspired Time to Plant Everything? I know you get turned on by nature. You know, um, actually, what inspired that song was a sign one spring. This was um, in the springtime. Um, I was driving by uh, a nursery and it said time to plant everything. <laughs> and I thought, I love that. I love that. It was uh, I, I thought about the, you know, just, just some of the, um, you know, the metaphors that, that, that it could apply to and, and that it might make a pretty darn good song. So, yes, I, you know. When you're a songwriter, you kind of drive around, look around, you see, and your 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 antennas are up to see what might be an interesting idea. That's that was a sign. And I like that it's in August because I have this seed planted that now is the time to have a great show about the trial of the century, and I think it's going to get good fast. And you've supported that idea. And the other blossoming blossoming thought. God, you have a great line in there. Is it going to be a thistle? Is it going to be a bloom? You just yeah. never know. But 100 years ago, Phil Van Sice faced dire bigots, authoritarians everywhere in Denver, and he fought against organized crime. He fought against the Klan, and then he paved the way for a beautiful Denver that you and I have lived in because Right. A bloom, a bloom came out of the darkness, and yeah. then we were off to the races. Denver's been growing, and we have challenges. But gosh, with creative guys like you, the other thing is you are an undiscovered genius. I mean, you play all over town and all of this, but the writing, the music, everything about this song, I think like 200 years after you're gone, if you ever die that people will be talking about you in this song. <laughs> well, at that point, it won't matter much to me, but hey, if it means something along the way, it would be great. Everything means something. Time to plant everything. What a great song. Thanks a lot, Troubadour. Shabbat Shalom. And congratulations on your new show. I'm really, uh, I'm excited to to listen to the very first one. It's happening Sunday. So we're yeah, talking something. Epi episode, you, this is episode 161. Let's do it. It comes out Saturday morning, 9 a.m., episode 161 of the Craig Silverman Show. And then Monday mornings, 8 a.m. Colorado time. Get ready for Craig's Colorado Corner with the beautiful song stylings off the Connected album by our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Time to plant 
everything. Thanks, Troubadour. Thanks for making me a part of it, Greg. Good luck with it, too. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Take care. Sometimes you get a good idea Sometimes you just know Like a seed, it's all right here You got to let it grow People say the frost will bite It's too early in the spring But I say the time is right For planting everything Come together now I got the fever I can hear the robin sing Let's make it better now think it's dumb keep working it with no fear you never know what comes nor should you judge too soon cause it's hard to know what's a thistle and what's a bloom you got to let it grow let's get together now I got the fever somewhere Forget the weather now. I'm a believer. Time for planting everything. A little bit of sunshine. A little bit of rain. Push it on down into the ground. One day soon she's gonna pick up through. Just watch her do her thing. is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark 
money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. Craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, 303-734-7156. Hey, now that's his show. How can you mess with Dave Gunders as your best buddy, writing songs like Time to Plant Everything and that story about he saw a sign? And he turned it into a beautiful song. We're going to plant this new show Monday morning, 8 a.m., Craig's Colorado Corner with speaker Terrence Carroll, Mario Nicholas. A lot of brain power there. Legal talent. But as we go forward, we're going to have fantastic panelists. 162 is shaping up, too. Sadie Gurman from the Wall Street Journal. She's a Denver girl, and she's covering this case of the century. We're all over it week after week. Please subscribe. Five stars is wonderful. Thank you for listening. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.